right, everybody, welcome back to another Welcome to the J episode. Today, we have an incredibly special guest, but first, make sure to like and subscribe to the Field of 68 Media Network, where you can get content such as this, and obviously, it's the NCAA tournament time, so you're definitely not going to want to miss it. And also, don't forget to download the Locker Room app, where we're going to have pre-post-game commentary from the same host who are presenting these uh, podcasts uh, from the Field of 68 Media Network. So again, don't forget to follow, like, subscribe uh, to the Field of 68 Media Network, and don't forget to download the Locker Room app for more content pre and post game. Today, we have our 15th guest on the Welcome to the J podcast. He was one of the best three-point shooters in high school, finishing runner-up in the high school three-point championship as a senior. As a high schooler, he was a career 90% free throw shooter and a career 46% three-point shooter. He had a career-high 31 points while draining eight threes versus DePaul his junior year. He averaged 10.2 points a game and led the team with 44 steals that season as well. He's made 171 career three-pointers as a Blue Jay. He is the pride of BP, a.k.a. Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, Isaiah Ziggy. Z, Zygmas, Zirden is in the building. Welcome to the day, bro. <laughs> pride of BP. The pride of Brooklyn Park. You already know uh, what it is. You've been a red knight from the start. You already know. Yeah. What's up, Z? What's going on? How you living, man? You doing good? Chilling. No. Another day. Another day, another dollar. Let's get it. So, uh, obviously, the boys made it to the tournament. Had a rough, rough, rough final game in the Big East tournament, though. I think we were all hopeful, you know, playing against a number eight seed. That's about as good of a chance as you as that you have as a two seed to win it all. Right. I know you had a chance to kind of watch that game. Uh, what were your thoughts? You know, what did you come out of that game thinking about? You know, the boys where they're at right now and their chances going into the NCAA tournament. I uh, I honestly would have lost a lot of money on that game. Because I, after watching the UConn game, I was like, all right, you know, that was their their bad game. They didn't play mm-hmm. well at all. It wasn't like they played great defensively. UConn had a bad game too. And obviously the Jays didn't shoot it well. So I would have put, I would have put my house on them winning against Georgetown as a bounce back game. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't always happen that way. We've had, we've definitely been through it where you go in uh, a shooting slump and you just, you know, nothing you can do offensively. So, uh, yeah, I was surprised. But, again, you tip your cap to Georgetown. They played well. And, you know, sometimes it's just how the, the ball bounces. You don't play well, and they do. It was very reminiscent to me of my senior year when we lost to Providence, who I believe was a five seed at the time, if I'm not mistaken. It's one of those games you're just like, man, like we have a really good shot it's not Villanova you know at, at that time like Providence was just a middle of the pack Big East team but they got hot at the right time uh obviously the outcome of those two games our game was a little bit closer than you know what we saw on Saturday but uh right. did you kind of have that kind of mindset too once you saw the game getting away from the boys it was honestly that was the first thing I thought of because even that Providence game I had just hurt my knee uh, that my freshman year, so I couldn't play anyway. So just watching and not being able to do anything um, definitely brought me back to that that year. So, um, but yeah, it, you know, just like you said, it, the Providence game was they wanted to slow the tempo down, and they did it differently than Georgetown. Obviously, Georgetown was feeling good about themselves, and they hit some shots that 
I don't think they've hit all year. Um, right. A couple of times they were laughing about the shots they were hitting. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. I haven't seen them hit any of those, but um, yeah, it was definitely tough um, and brought back the, the Providence memories of that year, senior year. Let's talk about this upcoming matchup uh, in the first round, the dreaded vaunted, 5-12 matchup. We know that every single year there's an upset between one of those four games. Hopefully it won't happen to the boys, but just a slight preview of who they're going to be playing. A UC Santa Barbara team uh, with leading scorers being Ja'Cory McLaughlin at 15.6 points a game, uh, Amadou Sao at 13 points a game, and Jari Sani at 11.5 points a game. And then they have five other players averaging between four and 10 points. So a very respected potent offense. Uh, what do you kind of see as a preview or, or I should say, what is your opinion of what the Jays should do in order to come out with a victory against a team that, you know, can go up and down, can obviously score. Uh, they average 75 points a game uh, as a team. So uh, what do you think the Jays must do to, you know, obviously defend and play well and get a victory in that opening round game? Well, you know, just for uh, any of the players and fans, listening obviously there's a website real-time rpi that actually predicts uc santa barbara to beat us so uh, you can use that as bulletin board material but honestly (laughs) i think this matchup is is what you want um any any game in the tournament is going to be tough no matter what you can be a one and playing a 16 it can happen any day where an upset can happen but i think that the the way that you see Santa Barbara has been playing their play styles going up and down, trying to score a bunch of points. I think that that helps Creighton. Um, it's a matchup for them where they can continue to play our style of basketball, get up and down, don't have to grind out the shot clock defensively. You're going to be able to get, you know, offensive opportunities and transition. So I think, I think it'll be a, uh, I think it'll be a good game. I think the Jays are going to pull it off. Obviously, I'm biased, but I think yeah. <laughs> I think it'll be a great win. Believe me, brother. Like as long as I've been doing this podcast, I realize that my biases are just showing more and more week to week. <laughs> like, I kind of think I'm like, well, I want the yeah, Creighton's going to win in my mind. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, what one of the keys that I have uh, that I feel is going to be very important is obviously to start to the game. Sometimes the Jays go out, uh, come out, you know, a little lackadaisical, a little bit of a slow start, uh, where you know the, the ball movement is not as crisp as it should be. Uh, and then before you know, like, again, the latest example is that Georgetown game. They go on a slump. Uh, the other team goes on a massive run. And, you know, the boys really don't have a good answer for it. So that's one of my keys to the game. And, and another one is to get Mitch going early because I know how crucial he is with how uh, much he can stretch the floor for the Jays, open up driving lanes for everybody else. Do you agree with those keys to the game? What are some of the things that you think the Jays must do? Well, of course, I think. Obviously, being a shooter, you have to get the shooter going. Um, mm-hmm. You open up the floor, it makes more room for not only uh, Marcus, but you got the pick and roll. They can't help off the corner. They can't help off the you know weak side. It's going to make it tougher for them. But again, during the course of the game, they're going to mess up at some point. And if you get Mitch going early, he's able to you know run sets for him and he'll he'll be able to come even if it's halfway through the second half and he hasn't shot in eight minutes 
he'll be able to come, you know, off that set and hit a three if you get him going early. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree with you. I think you get him going early and a good start. I think the first four minutes of the first half and the first four of the mm-hmm. second half will determine the whole game. Yeah, that first media timeout, man, is a good barometer of, you know, how things are going to go. If you get off to a good start and let's just say you have like a nine to five lead, like even if it's just a four point lead, it doesn't seem tremendous. But just to know that you have that good momentum going into that first media timeout is is everything. And like you said, like a guy like Mitch, who doesn't need a lot of shots necessarily to get hot. He just needs to see it go in once. Can you imagine if he makes his first two shots? The defense is in for a long night after that. Right. The first uh, question that we have from Twitter from Jordan LC Golf, he's asking, what is the key to winning a tournament game? And how do you think Crane can put that plan into effect? We already kind of touched on it, but do you have anything more to add to that? Well, I mean, so I I was on the team and I hurt my knee your senior year. Um, Mm -hmm. So I've never been a part of a, a tournament win, but, or I've never played. I've been a part of the team, but, um, I, I just think it, it's literally you have to take it four minutes at a time. And it sounds just very, you hear that all the time and it's like, all right, that's stupid, but it's a tournament game and everyone wants to be able to keep their season going. They want to be able to keep dancing, be in the sweet 16, but um, cause an upset can happen in any, any matchup. So just being locked in and focus on the next four minutes, you know, the next four minutes at zero, zero coming out of the media timeout, let's win these four mm-hmm. minutes. So I think that way, if you just stay focused on the little things, little increments of the game in the big picture will take care of itself. Another thing I wanted to touch on is I hope that, you know, obviously the last game was a tough one, obviously to watch. Uh, I would imagine for the boys, a tough one to play in as well but they cannot afford to lose their confidence right now. You know, the guys who are shooters shoot, rebounders rebound, passes pass, you know how it goes. But, like, they really need to show, especially, like you said, like the first four minutes and then the following four minutes after that, that their confidence is up, that they're playing their style of basketball. And just, you know, at at any point, you can't just walk down or, or walk around with your head down because, you know, it's one and done. You lose, you go home, you have no second chances. Right. And that's why I think this matchup, with Santa Barbara and also, you know, not having to wait terribly long. It's only, you know, five, six days where you have to wait instead of, you know, maybe 10 days to 14 with COVID, you never know. But I think Mm -hmm. this matchup with a a decently short time period between a bad loss and playing your next one, I think it'll be good. I'm glad that you brought up COVID and obviously just as an irregular season, it's, it's been weird just all around, not only in society, but obviously like all sports have been affected by it. How do you think this particular setting, all the games being played in Indiana and different venues, how do you think that is going to affect uh, not only our boys, but the NCAA tournament as a whole? Well, I think it'll be very different for the, the NCAA tournament. I mean, Duke being out, um, <laughs> Kentucky about, out <laughs> yeah, Kansas I guess they get to play if they test negative but I mean just mm-hmm. the amount of teams that have had games canceled due to COVID and um, weird situations with schedules and whatnot and it, it'll be different I think for for Creighton I mean we play Butler so we're used to um, the area we've made the flight before we've had different situations different hotels so I think Mm -hmm. I think for us it'll be okay 
Um, but for the tournament itself, I think it'll be much different than usual. It's just, it's kind of crazy as I look down the list of teams, usually at like the 11, 12, 13 seeds, you see some lower to mid-major schools, like, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, Davidson type, you know, College of Charleston <laughs> right. type of school that's there. You look at the bracket this year and it's like Syracuse. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So at any given point, I don't really like think that that would be too much of an upset if, you know, an 11 beats a, or whatever, you know, what is it? It 11? won't be the typical 11-5 upset or 12-5 upset that we see. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It, it's so crazy this year. Yeah. Uh, what other teams intrigue you uh, in this tournament? Obviously, like as fans of basketball, we love the boys, but it, like I know you, you're going to be watching all day. I'm going to be trying to watch as much as I can with the time right. difference that I have going on here. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of say mine, uh, just kind of a, a little shout out to the, to the men who helped me get to where I'm at today. Uh, Coach DeVries is actually playing in a playing game with Drake. Congrats to Coach DeVries for making the tournament. Uh, Coach Lutz, your favorite guy, is <laughs> a <laughs> seed with oh a four seed, I should say, at Purdue. And yeah. then uh, we have the former head coach, Coach Altman, with Oregon. They're a seven seed as well. So those are the kind of teams that I'm going to be looking out for just because, you know, I, I know those guys. I've I've had conversations with those guys, obviously relationships with those guys. What kind of teams intrigue you and, and give me some of the reasons why? I, I mean, obviously the, the former coaches that we've had, you know, you always root for, for them and uh, you hope that they win their matchups, but like the uh, Oregon state with uh, Cunningham, I really want to see what he can do. Uh, Oklahoma state. You mean? Oh yeah. My, I apologize. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oregon, Oregon, it's so Oregon. yeah. Oregon state, OSU, Oklahoma I don't, state. OSU. I don't, They're both orange. That should, that should tell you how much yeah. I know, but. Uh, I just want to see what he can do in the tournament see what kind of a run yeah. he can help them make. And then uh, mm -hmm. I don't know, not really. I just, I'm interested in, in general just to see how the tournament goes and if there's actually going to be any cancellations of games due to the COVID that we talked about. So I'm just more interested to see how it all plays out. From what I've been hearing, the, the players and the coaches are all pretty much isolated in their rooms are not allowed to come out unless it's practice, shoot around or game time. So uh, if they are able to maintain, you know, that setting of a bubble, then everything should be a go. And hopefully no one, you know, comes in contact with anybody that has COVID and, and it shuts down the whole thing. But from what I'm hearing, it, it's a pretty secure thing that they're trying to do. It's just a matter of obviously everyone adhering to those rules and trying to stay as safe as possible. Another team or a player that I should say that I'm very intrigued in is also in that West region from the number one uh, overall seed, Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga. Uh, I had a chance to kind of watch a couple of Gonzaga games this year just because of my intrigue. And he's a, he's the real deal, man. I hope the boys get a chance to match up with them. I'd love to see a Zagorowski-Suggs matchup in uh, Sweet 16, I believe it would be. Right. No, I, I agree. Um, a lot. Of, I got to see him his senior year in high school because I was back home and Obviously, things change from senior year of high school to being in college. So um, mm -hmm. it, I had a different opinion last year, but I respect the the work and the effort that he's put in and the mentality that he's had. But I, I definitely think it'd be uh, an interesting matchup. I don't think that they'd roll like they think they would over us um, just because mm -hmm. they the, the whole year. I mean, every year they always just play teams out west. Um, right. Normally they're not, uh, which isn't much. So, yeah. 
this year was a little different. They had a chance to play Kansas, and I believe they played Iowa as well, who's a two seed. But yeah. no, I agree with you. I mean, uh, they are the you know cream of the crop in the Western or West Coast Conference, so they always go into the tournament with a whole lot of confidence because usually they win the regular season and the West Coast Conference no tournament as well. Yeah. Uh, last question before we move on to you know your playing career. Uh, what number one seed do you think is the least likely to make a Final Four run? Mm. Putting you on the spot here. Right. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, I think. Uh, oh. <laughs> I think the least likely. I think it has to be mm-hmm. Michigan for me. And I try really? to look at their bracket. Yeah, because <laughs> I don't want to say I actually. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with Michigan. I think Florida if Florida State gets there, I think Florida State would beat them. I think it'd be a good game, but I think Florida State's athleticism and and tempo would outdo them. I don't I again, I think that if the Jays face yeah, because that, that's mine. <laughs> mine is the <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's just how it is as, as an alum. You're always gonna say that. But if I had to choose one team, then I think it'd be Michigan that would I think they'd be the first out. I remember the first time like my I started playing as a pro, the first time the boys made it to the tournament. After that, I had them winning the whole thing in my ESPN bracket. <laughs> and I, I put it up on Twitter and I said, I definitely not biased by this pick at all. And <laughs> people gave me hell for it. <laughs> that's how I, I made two brackets. One that <laughs> that one that was for me because it was just Jays all the way, and then the other one. Right. <laughs> Uh, one more, one more uh, Twitter question again before we get out of this NCAA tournament talk mm-hmm. uh, from Billy BJ Noisy Jaybird on um, Twitter asking, "How do you see us matching up with some of the teams in our quadrant?" Obviously, it's uh, Gonzaga. We spoke about a little bit. Santa Barbara. We spoke about, but that second round matchup would be against um, Virginia. Yeah. which obviously we know is, is known for their defense. They play a tough pack line defense that, you know, Coach Mack has also integrated into his defensive uh, package from time to time, depending on the team that he has. So, uh, oh, is that Milo? Milo. Hey, hey, hey. hey. Listen, hey. Wait, let's let's see if Milo can make an appearance real quick. Do you want an appearance? Milo. Yeah, just hey, a quick come one. Come here. Come here. So come we here. know exactly who's barking in the background. Come here. They want an appearance. The people want an appearance. <laughs> there he is. Got to give the people what they want, Gotta Milo. Give the people. Look at right here. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Hey, Milo, welcome All to right. the game, brother. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> He's not impressed. Hey, so another Twitter question about the NCAA tournament uh, from Billy BJ, Noisy Jaybird on Twitter. He's asking, or she's asking, they don't have a profile picture. So he or she is asking, how do you see us matching up with the teams in our quadrant? Uh, We talked about uh, Santa Barbara. We talked about Gonzaga. But that next matchup for the Jays would be against Virginia. We know about their defense and, you know, the pack line defense has been instrumented, so instrumental in their success. Coach Mack has actually used that right. uh, same kind of defense, um, depending on the 
player personnel that he has. So how do you see a matchup, you know, five versus four uh, in that second round? They've always had, you know, over the last, you know, five, six years since we've been there, they've always had that tough defense where they want to slow the game mm -hmm. down and, and they've done, they've been great at it. Um, but, you know, against somebody like us at Creighton and the Jays, I think it's tough. They can do it against some teams that aren't as, um, you know, up-tempo mindset um, offensively. But with how we like to play, somebody, you know, that we just talked about, Gonzaga, they played Gonzaga earlier this year and gave up 98 points, which they never mm -hmm. do. So it's – I think it's a little different year for them. And I think coming – just having most of their guys come out of quarantine – um, I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see how much they really want to slow the game down and how they're able to uh, defensively get what they want to get done. It's such a crazy year because it's like you would never like as you're filling out your brackets and all that stuff. Those aren't things that normally come to mind. Like, yeah, you look at injuries and stuff like that. But right. this year due to COVID, like it, there's so many more question marks. So it's going to be such a fun. It's going to be an exciting tournament. There's going to be a bunch of storylines. <laughs> the first one right off the bat, you know, Drake versus Wichita State, two former Missouri Valley uh, Conference rivals. I already know if you listen to me and you listen to this podcast, you know that I'm a extreme NCAA tournament conspiracy theorist when it comes to storylines. So <laughs> I can't wait to see what they're going to build up uh, as the tournament goes on. But there's a reason why the teams are, are ranked that way. And, you know, we'll, we'll wait. when you hear the broadcasters speak about something outside of basketball that has nothing to do with the game and they're going to try to relate it all back to it, that's when we'll know, like, ah, I could see why they wanted that team as a succeed as opposed to maybe a right. four that they deserved. So right. it's all good. It happens all the time. Let's get into your career, bro. First of all, your high school career, you're always known as a great shooter. From the very jump, um, I already talked about your shooting splits in your beautiful introduction, but I, if I do say so myself, Perfect. what are some of the things, especially early on when you were a youngster that you worked on that developed your form, developed your confidence into, you know, your, your shot? And what are some of the things that you did, especially obviously as, as a child that helped you become the shooter that you, that you became? Um. Well, I mean, the, the first and foremost is having my dad be a coach. Um, mm -hmm. He just worked with me on shooting all the time. Um, he tells me stories of when I'm laying in the crib and he's just sitting there flicking my wrists as a baby. <laughs> I mean, it's just stuff like that. But I think um, growing up, you know, it was always the usual ball handling type stuff, which I still mm -hmm. never got great at. But the <laughs> shooting was every day, it, you know. I don't think people realize how many shots, you know, aren't taken on video. Um, all the extra work you put in and, you know, me and you did it um, for mm -hmm. the last couple summers and just stuff like that, that people never get to see. But I think the one, the, th the moment that I can really point back to, and it'll be, you know, it's always tough for me to talk about even still is, uh, I was five and the Lakers were playing the Timberwolves and my dad was a coach and it was an mm -hmm. afternoon game. My dad gets there at like 8 a.m. and we're walking down the Target Center hallway and, you know, we hear a voice deep, you know, all the lights are off deep down the hallway. Okay, oh, G, you shrunk. You shrunk, KG. And my dad are looking like, who the hell is this? 
And all of a sudden, yeah. Obi, and he comes walking out. He's got his whole hand taped up because he wasn't playing, um, but he was still going to go work out. And he had me rebound for him. And I, you know, just sat there and I just listened because he was talking to me after for like an hour. Um, mm-hmm. And he told me, he said, you, you think you work hard? You know, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just shy as hell anyway. And it's Kobe Bryant. So I'm like, just nodding. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, it, there's a kid out there out in New York working harder than you right now. And I like, didn't know what to say. And he's like, you still think you work hard? And I was like, I don't, you just told me somebody else was working harder. So I don't, what am I supposed to say? And then he's like, there's a kid out in LA working harder than him. And I'm like, Oh, shit. So I guess I have to work <laughs> hard. Like, and he's like, if you want to be, you know, great at what you do, he goes, you have to put in that time that no one sees. You have to put in more time. If you think they're putting in more time, you have to put in more time. And so that's when it really like set in. And that's when he became my favorite player. Just that mentality, that Mamba mentality of he's going to kill anyone, no matter what they're doing. And that's right. really when it clicked for me. Like I really have to put in the time. How cool was that three point shootout experience? Uh, we've had Ethan Rogge who participated in the NCAA one. So did Marcus Foster. Uh, I personally did one in Cyprus and I was playing as a pro there, but like just from your experience as a high school kid, uh, I think at that time you already had an idea of where you were going to go, but like how cool was it to participate in that and just seeing these other, you know, dope shooters around you? Oh, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, even just being there when we did the uh, early morning walkthrough of how it was going to go and they had the the guys in the dunk contest there and it was they're in their flip flops doing windmills and three sixties. And it's like, all right, I guess I, uh, I guess I'm not doing the dunk contest this year, but it was, <laughs> it was just a neat experience. Uh, <laughs> people you get to meet and, and all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in flip flops though. I can't even, I don't even think I get the rim anymore, but <laughs> right. Absolutely not. Aside from CU, which obviously you ended up at, what other schools were like interested in you or maybe that you were super interested in going? What was your recruiting process like? Um, It was honestly pretty calm. There weren't a whole lot of schools. Um, Manhattan really wanted me to go there and Wofford. Wofford I was really interested in along with um, obviously Creighton and then Pepperdine. But it was more... Wofford and, and Creighton just because Wofford was a warmer place so I was interested in being somewhere warm but um, you know Mac and, and the play style at Creighton really um, sold me the, the obviously the family that it is really sold mm-hmm. me on and going to Creighton so it wasn't wasn't much of a decision really it was kind of already made. And you also had the best host on your visit too. Like, I mean, it happens. My record as far as bringing in recruits is impeccable and I'll put it up against anybody's. Uh, That's me tweeting my own horn and patting my own back for sure. But if, if Jahan's Maniga is your host, you're coming to that school. I can promise you that. (laughs) a different situation, but sure. Yep. So that first year that you come in, um, we go to Bahamas, right? No. And then after that. You went there there before. Did we go before? Okay. So, but you decided with the coaching staff, obviously, um, to redshirt 
what went into that decision? Uh, we've had a couple of different, you know, guests on the podcast talk about their redshirt year. I want to get, you know, your opinion of that. You know, what was good for you that year? What was bad for you that year? And ultimately what came or what went into that decision between you and the coaching staff that, you know, this will be a good idea if you just sit out this year? It was, um, you know, obviously everything happens for a reason, but it was actually great because then we ended up moving to the Big East. So, um physically a lot stronger than what I was, but it was, it was more so just, you know, what, that I could have an entire year um, basically to work on getting stronger, my body, um, my game and everything. It was, it was pretty easy that I knew that I wasn't going to play obviously with the roster that you guys had. Um, And so just being able to be there, practice every day and and work out and try to get better was a big deal. But um, that year when we played at Nebraska, Josh had that heart issue. Um, and then that's when it was like, okay, Mac said, do you want to come off red shirt? Uh, and we had a long discussion about that and ultimately ended up not, um, which was good, but it, it, the entire year was a good thing. It just sucked going through it. Right. It's so crazy that like you committed to a Valley school you don't play a second in the Valley. You play your full career in the Big East. When that moment happened, when we realized that we were switching conferences, like what was your mindset? Like, were you just like, Jesus, like what did I kind of get myself into? Were you excited? Were you, and what was your mindset? Like when you figured out that we were moving conferences? Yeah, we had heard that the rumor for a while that, you know, we could be, but then when it became official, I remember, and I, I won't forget this, Mac called me into his office in old gym. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm like, coach, so you, uh, you heard that we're switching to the Big East? I said, yeah, it's pretty cool. And he goes, you weren't recruited to play in the Big East. So. And I'm like, <laughs> oh. I'm like am, I, am I gone? Is this, this is the moment? <laughs> and he goes, you're going to have to be ready. And I'm like, oh, all right, shit. All right. Hey, yeah. well, I'm, I'm ready, coach. I'm, I'm ready. But, he's, you know, we just sat there but I was like that was the moment I was like wait am I not gonna be here you're not recruited for the big East I was like, oh all right right um, <laughs> get leaving. but uh no I remember we had a we had a discussion I told I told Mac I said don't worry Mac I said I'll be ready and he said okay and that was the end of it and then just continued to work all summer and got ready it was it was more excitement than anything Bro, I remember your redshirt year when you were on scout team. Obviously, there are days where you're just gonna you're just gonna get it going. And once a shooter like yourself gets it going, it makes closeouts that much harder. And then that's when you get into your one-two dribble pull-up stuff. And then if you're having a day, then it's really tough to stop you. I remember D-Rock being in my ear, bro, <laughs> on some of those days. I owe you a couple of freaking punches for the times that you just lit me up in practice. It was, and it was D-Rock was just in my ear the whole I, time. <laughs> I didn't understand at the time until then, you know, you're on the, the first team going against the scout team and someone's right. torching you. And it's like, all right, he has the green yeah. light and I can't stop him. It's like, great. I'm just going to hear it from coach all day. And, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just scout team. There's no repercussions for shooting. So it's like, okay, right. this guy's a shooter. It's like, perfect. That's all I want to do today is shoot. <laughs> so of course there's going to be days, but um, for the most part, I don't think that, you know, 
it, it was anything too much. I don't think I torched you like I got torched some days in practice. Uh, man, you don't even <laughs> no, know. I had some days. I had some days. Because there's a couple of guys that absolutely torched me. Shout out Ross Perini. Absolutely torched <laughs> me when I was a youngster. We called it the Ross two-step, man. He would get everybody with it. Uh, I'm telling you, like, there's some days that you just got me, like, it. It was, I didn't even know what to say to the coaching staff because they put me up there as this great defensive player who's going to get stops, you know, standing on his head. And then you're just there, kind of like a not so fit freshman at the time. I'm not athletic. And it's like, all right, ISO, wing. And I'm like, uh, all right, we'll just um, shot. Shout out oh, Nevin Johnson, too. He, he gave yeah, me the works a couple of times. Imagine, imagine how I felt when, you know, we had when you left and then Mac tried to put me in that top defender spot. And then Marcus <laughs> came in his red shirt year. Oh, running. running. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Scouting, we're scouting Buddy Heald and he's like, all right, Marcus, your buddy. It's like, oh, this is going to be fun for the next four days. Right. That's yeah. That's crazy, bro. Oh, man. So your uh, retro freshman year, you finally get to play. Uh, obviously, we moved to the Big East. We have a very successful season, as, as everyone knows. One of your better games was against Villanova at home. At that time, it was your career high. I think you had 13 points off. Like, I think you only missed one shot that, that game and maybe missed one free throw. What I loved about that game, though, was finally <laughs> Coach Dearden. Shout out Donald. <laughs> was able to come to that game at the time he was the assistant coach for the wizards if i'm not mistaken right yep. and it was the all-star break so he actually got to fly into omaha he was there for the whole weekend i think that was the first not the first time i met him but the first time i actually like we went out to dinner and like got to know him better and all that stuff talk about like having your best game up to that point in front of your father in the building he was sitting like basically out on the press row and then I know that you guys had a very funny conversation after that game. If you're willing to share it, by all means, do so. I think I think I'll let you share that part because it's it's not as funny to me. So it was <laughs> okay. Well, then talk talk about that game and just playing well in front of him. Then. Wait, it was. Um, I'm gonna let you tell it because it's funnier for you. It just <laughs> that type of thing happened all the time for me, so it's not as funny anymore. But. Um, I remember a couple games before being able to, you know, finally, you know, get into the rotation for a few minutes here and there. And um, my dad was able to come to that one because you said the all-star break and he got in the night before. And I remember us, I asked him if we could go shoot um, just to, just in case, you know, to be ready. And we were there till 1230, 1am, you know, just shooting and talking. And I remember he told me if you, you keep working and keep your confidence. Something's going to break your way. Um, you said you don't know when, but I remember, you know, Gib, Gibbs early gets two fouls and then you get two fouls. And it was like, mm -hmm. all right, this is, you know, this is my time. My number's called and this is, you know, the best team in the Big East. I have to, I have to play my best. And um, yeah, I remember just being all, you know, amped up obviously to go in with our home crowd and um, I ended up playing, you know, one of my better games uh, that year, but it was just, you know, me having a mindset of, I have to, for, for us to win, I have to play the best that I can. 
um, to help us win. So it worked out, but it was, it was pretty interesting that he was able to catch that one that, you know, I happen to play the best at. It's so crazy because like, I think back about those Villanova matchups, uh, that first game, we absolutely blitzed them in Philadelphia. You played really well in that game as well. Like we all, really did uh, because their focus was on Doug and it allowed Ethan to get going super early. I got going early. Everyone came off the bench, contributed, including yourself. Uh, Devin even made a couple threes and stuff like that. So, uh, and, and Austin as well. So the second time they have a completely different thing. They're like, okay, we'll allow Doug to get his. We're going to try and shut down everybody else. But then you come out of the woodworks and you, you put a hurting on him. So it must've felt good to see those shots just, just fall for you. Like you said, like putting in the work, the extra work that nobody sees, uh, just like Kobe taught you when you were a youngster, right? No, it was it was definitely good. You know, obviously we had heard it since we, you know, shot it so well the first time that it was going to be a completely different game the second time. Um, but, mm-hmm. be able, you know, being able to go out there and beat them by 20 again uh, really made a statement, I feel like. And it was obviously fun doing it in front of the home fans and, and in a situation like that. So... <laughs> So what did Don tell you after you go four or five from the field and I think three or four from the free throw line? What what did you hear from your father as far as critique is concerned after that game? The first thing I heard, it had nothing to do with, hey, you played great, congrats on the win. (laughs) It was, hey, you missed that free throw. You could have had you could have had 14. And I said, Oh, thank you. I know I missed that one. I said, all right, well, I just wanted to remind you that you uh, three for four. Like, all right. Z, he's a coach through and through. He can't That's, turn off the coach. Hey, you want to know what's even funny? I mean, it's it's so I've heard that story like so many times from him. It, it uh-huh. makes me laugh because even that DePaul game, I had 30. The first thing right. he said, you know, he gave me a hug and he goes, it was great to watch, which he never normally said. So I was like, oh, this is, you know, he's going to be great this time. And then he goes, he's going to be sweet, sentimental. Yeah. <laughs> and I go and I had a comeback that time, though. I go, yeah, but I missed. And then I hit a three. So I actually scored two more points than the free throw. <laughs> and He didn't have anything to say back. <laughs> that was I finally got my one. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, can't say hell. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> shout out to don uh the summers that we were living together you and iz training to play overseas i remember a couple of times he came down to omaha uh put me through some really good workouts too uh and obviously you were in those workouts because you you and him you guys worked out together pretty much your whole lives when you had the chance that was my first time really working out with like a an nba guy who knew what he was talking about and all that stuff so it was just such a neat experience so shout out to don uh a, a cool guy even though he doesn't have any sympathy for isaiah's <laughs> playing ability you heard us go at it during the workout yeah it's yeah. <laughs> just been so long just going head to head and just hearing it, it was so it was so crazy, like, when I watch you guys go back and forth when we're working out and stuff like that, and I'm just like, damn, he's talking to his dad like that, and then I realized, oh, no, he's talking to his coach like that, because, like I said, I've gone out to dinners, I've had so many conversations with you guys off the court, you guys are literally, like, best friends, but, like, the right. second you get in between those four lives, that that right. relationship dynamic that was, changes that so was much. One of the toughest things for me growing up is, 
like who is dad, the dad, and then who's dad, the coach and trying to separate mm-hmm. both of them. Um, but then, you know, obviously you were there for the workouts, just, you know, MFs everywhere. If you get, the yeah, workout, <laughs> don't care, whatever. You say. And they, yeah, and get the F out of here. You're, you're effing trash. I, I heard yeah. all, I mean, <laughs> all it's back and forth and it, it's all right, shut up, don't care. Um, but then yeah. afterwards, it's just all, you know, we're best buds. We golf every day. You know, it's just, you know, I respect my parents. Obviously, I love them. And I've never talked to them that way. But, you know, once once he's a coach, then it's different. So, Right. So later on that year, uh, you know, like they said, the team kept playing well. You suffered your first major injury, unfortunately, of, of many as a collegiate athlete. Again, Xavier, uh, you know, chasing down, uh, why am I blanking on his name right now? Samaj Christian and your knee, you know, kind of takes a turn for the worse. Uh, kind of, if you want to, if you don't want to, then we don't need to talk about it. But just kind of tell me what was your feelings going through your mind, like understanding that, you know, your season up to that point was probably over. Well, I, I mean, obviously when it, we had all week when we were preparing for him, it was don't let him go right because he can only mm-hmm. go right, which that's all he ever did. So I, we knew what he was going to do. And in transition, he's got a full head of steam. And I just slid over. And the way that, you know, he kind of hit me as I was sliding, it was awkward. So my foot kind of mm-hmm. ended up like my legs stepped back instead of just falling. And when I felt it, I knew that my my season was done it was just a matter of how much damage was actually done and you know we got I got carried off the court but then I walked the entire you know how long Xavier's walk to the locker room and training room is so I walked the entire way to the training room under my own uh, on my own so it was you know one of those things I didn't know how bad it actually was Um, and it was kind of unfortunate again because we were playing Georgetown um, in the next couple of days and I'd be able to see my dad again. So, but I guess it was good in that sense too, because he was able to to be there and their training staff was able to, uh, to help me get an MRI and and take care of me that way. Yeah. I remember I was on the bench, but it happened, bro. And I couldn't even look like I literally turned around as I saw Ben walk over. I saw coach Mac, you know, obviously help you to your feet, give you a hug. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just saw you kind of slowly, uh, make your way to, you know, the back area where the locker rooms are and stuff. Right. I was just, I was hurt, bro. Like, uh, it was, it, it was tough. It was tough. We had a really yeah. good team and you were a really big part of it. And that feeling, that eerie feeling was just, it was there. Yeah. It was, you know, obviously when anything bad happens and, you know, in any injury, you can just feel it. And I remember just laying there as I knew that something bad had happened and I hadn't looked yet, but I heard the people, the Xavier fans in the first row go, Oh my God. And I was like, all right, well, this is going to be pretty bad when I look at it. So yeah, I remember just sitting up and having Doc Ramos and Ben and Mac and their orthopedic guy come over and just seeing it out of place. And I was like, all right, yeah, this is pretty bad. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad it. at least you got the recovery that you needed. You were able to play that following season. You guys actually got off to a pretty good start. You were ranked in the top 25 following 
you know, uh, beating Buddy Heald. Uh, it's such a weird year because uh, throughout that whole year, you guys weren't successful, but you got off to a really good start and just weren't able to carry that momentum. So talk about, you know, that game in particular, which was like a comeback for the ages. I remember, I think I was in Cyprus and I stayed up to watch it. And I was just losing my mind because you guys were down like 18 at one point and just started roaring back and the crowd got really into it. Talk about that game. And is it, is, was that one of those like memorable games for you? Uh, and if not, what are some of your favorite games that you had in your career? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely one of them. Obviously the mm-hmm. one we talked about Villanova at Nova, the freshman year, um, just mm-hmm. the way we shot will always be up there but that one in particular um just because you know all you guys left and it was okay Creighton's gonna suck they don't have anybody and then you know we face a top 20 team at the time so it was like all right this is this is a big challenge for us you know buddy one of the top kids in you know junior class and I had the responsibility of having to chase them and it was just one of those games where we it never like it didn't seem like it was 20 when it was 20. Like we knew we weren't playing well, but it just never felt like it really was 20. Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Just that feeling. It doesn't feel like what it actually is. So at halftime, we knew um, if we could just get a little, a little momentum going offensively that we would create some stops and be able to run on them. Cause they weren't great transition defense. Um, and just the that was for me personally, that was the loudest I've ever heard the century link coming back from that that deficit <laughs> and being able to hit that yeah. three in front of the bench and the picture with Mac, you know, holding the threes up and the fan. It was just one of the things, yeah. I still I getting chills just thinking about it. It was the loudest I've ever heard mm-hmm. in the arena. So it was it's definitely my my number one memory. Later on that year, you partially tear your MCL, which takes you out of, you know, competition once again. You come back from that injury. You play really well well in your junior year, and then it's a shoulder issue. When you were having one of your better statistical years, uh, that team went to the NIT. You weren't able to participate in that NIT run. Talk about kind of like the frustrations of just year after year dealing with injuries, you know, on this year's team, Marcus Zagorowski was kind of like that where early on, he just had a couple like ticky tack injuries, which built and built the last year. They won the regular season or a share of the regular season, Big East championship. But in that final game, uh, you know, before going to uh, the Big East tournament, which obviously got canceled due to COVID and all that stuff, Marcus came up limping um, and had a whole season where, or off season where you had to recover from injury. So just kind of talk about like, the frustrations that come with just always being injured and not being able to, you know, cross the finish line at the end of the season, so to speak. Man, it's, um, it's one of those things that from the outside looking in, you know, from a fan's perspective, it's like this kid just can't stay healthy. You know, we need somebody, you know, who can, and it's Mm -hmm. mentally, it can just break you down um, because it's not, you know, I'm not out there, like, hey, I, I'm hoping to get hurt before the season ends. Um, it's just one right. of those things that happens. Um, but it was the way that every time, no matter what it was, you know, every time I had to go in there and talk to Mac, um, the support that he gave me, and obviously you guys who were 
teammates and some of my closest friends, the support you guys gave me made it a lot easier. It's not as bad mentally trying to get through every injury when you have people there supporting you. So I know I'm sure for Marcus, it was the same way. You know, every, every little thing, it's like, why can't I just play healthy? I'm trying, you know, everything I'm trying to do to take care of my body just isn't working and it can be frustrating. So, you know, for any of the fans that, you know, see kids get injured and are like, we need a, you know, somebody else who doesn't get injured as much, you know, we're tired of that. It's, you know, it's just kind of how it goes. You know, you can't hate the kid for it. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, nothing you can do. Sports has injuries and sometimes they stack up. So you battle through all of that. You have a senior year on a really, really good team. That team, your senior year, was one of my favorite teams to watch as a fan. Personally, you guys got up and down. Uh, obviously, he had great talent there with, you know, Maurice Watson as your point guard, Marcus Foster, uh, Kyrie. Uh, he had JP there, too. Um, Cole was on that team, if I'm not mistaken. My guy, Cole. Uh, it was your senior year. It was Zach's uh, senior year. Yeah? yeah. And, like, it was just such an exciting uh, team to watch but you are asked to come off the bench which is you know must have been such a tough sacrifice because you had started the two previous years you were just coming off your best statistical year before the injury kind of talk about you know the sacrifice that it takes if you really want to be a team player if you really want to you know watch your team have success talk about the sacrifice as a senior where you want to go out on a high note obviously with the team but individually uh, and then being asked to come off the bench and, and provide a spark, you know, that was a little bit different than what you were used to the two previous years. It was almost a, a, you know, reverting back to freshman year, so to speak, to have to come off mm-hmm. the bench. But it wasn't for me. Obviously, there's frustration behind, you know, OK, I just played my best year and now I have to come off the bench again. But it wasn't it wasn't like the I was like upset about it. It was like, all right this is what is best for the team. So I'm going to you know, think about it and use it as motivation so that every time I do come off the bench, I can help the team and I'll take it out on the opponent. Um, right. At the end of the day, it wasn't much to, you know, talk to Mac about it was what he said. And, you know, I'm not going to argue with the decision. So mm-hmm. I just try to, you try to accept the role that you're given. Um, it's not always, what you're thinking but at the end of the day everyone had the same mentality and it was you know end goal and it was to win um i I didn't care you know play four minutes and shoot two threes and we get a win i'm i'm fine with that as long as we win at the end of the day that's all that i cared about right that team made it to uh big east tournament uh finals ended up losing to villanova if i'm not mistaken and then uh, losing to Rhode Island in the first round of the NCAA tournament, which was the last game of your career. After that final buzzer sounded against Rhode Island, talk to me about like your emotions, understanding that that journey, that chapter in your life came into uh, came to an end abruptly, obviously in a situation that you guys felt like you could have advanced. Uh, it was, it was tough. Um, I remember immediately after um I was more upset with how I played 
Um, I didn't get to play a whole lot, but I was more upset with the minutes that I did have. I'm pretty sure I had like two turnovers, was like 0 for 3, and it just wasn't a good game. Um, and, and I was more upset at that without really realizing that it was done at the time. Um, but, you know, later after the press conference and everything kind of calmed down, you, you start to sit there and think like, this is, you know, I'm done hanging out with these guys in the locker room for an hour after practice and, you know, mm -hmm. laughing about dumb stuff that happened during <laughs> about God knows what <laughs> right, like anything. And if, if, you know, the more that, you know, it went on after the loss, the more it kind of set in like, damn, this is, this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. Um, because obviously any losses you're upset and tough to take um, but it's you know it's the end so it's always more difficult it's so crazy like I've, i'm looking at my background right here where is it <laughs> on this side my last game <laughs> yeah, my last it. game against baylor like it, it just you talking about that it just brought back all those you know, feelings of it's kind of a vulnerable time because you identify yourself for so long as this college basketball player. And then it's just like that. It, it's over. And I remember me, you and Mo, shout out uh, Mogbu, my guy, our guy no, uh, in the locker room. We literally had like a little conference, uh, just the three of us literally uh, hugging each other and like talking about how like this part of the journey was done. And I remember like not believing it and like thinking like I'm about to snap out of this like nightmare that I'm in currently, but like it, it really like, like affects you. Like no, <laughs> we went back I, to that. I don't, think, I don't think people, <laughs> and even, even freshmen that, you know, do play that we, you know, would try to tell this to, they wouldn't believe us anyway. It's just, it's something that you have to experience. It goes from every day, two and a half hour practices, lifts and classes to all of a sudden it's done. There's no more lifts, no more yeah. practices. You still have to go to class if you want, but it's just, you're no longer a basketball player and you just turn into another college student and it doesn't really register for a minute with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. I remember going back to the hotel and then watching like the coaches kids at that time, they were like 10, 11, 12 years old, all of them crying, like hugging me, hugging Doug, hugging Ethan, hugging Grant, understanding that it was the last time they were going to see us play. And fast forward now, shout out to Andrew Murfeld. He's on the team now. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Tucker DeVries. He just decided to go play at Drake under Coach DeVries too. So it's like, you see like those kids who were yeah. literally balling it balling their eyes on now they're literally balling on the court so that, that's awesome to see uh you had a, a short stint at a pro career uh you played in portugal overseas one year that was the summers where you and i were trying not to get ourselves in trouble but we decided <laughs> to live together and train together and live together uh i remember our our summer regiment was working up at like 6 a.m., um, getting a lift in, getting all of our shots in, in the morning, and then, you know, going to uh, Hoffman Hoops Academy. Shout out to Coach Hoffman and, and getting some individual skill work done there. And then, obviously, when your father was in town, we get some work done with him, too. Talk about, like, your playing career, some of the stuff that you learned, and then, obviously, like, just the grind of being an overseas pro hooper, 
and in your situation not not the best one not not the you know not the glamour that some people think that you know playing overseas looks like right no, I, the summer was um def- impeccable <laughs> i'm done um but it was <laughs> it was uh you know a learning process over the summer and really it did, it did like getting up early like that and doing you know shooting lifting and then another workout uh really did help me for for when i got overseas um that year was obviously nothing that you know anyone expects it's one of those horror stories that you hear about but don't believe of overseas basketball every Mm -hmm. two practices every day and it was just the living conditions were terrible the the gym Mm -hmm. was awful it was just it was one of those things that you'll take away like i i love playing basketball but if that's what i had to play basketball in every day there's no shot <laughs> yeah like I, i'd rather right. just stay at home and i love mm-hmm. i love the game so it was it was definitely a, a great experience being able to say i got to play professionally overseas but you know the body finally said hey this isn't the right situation you know and i want to be able to do stuff later in life like golf and right. hang out and so I just knew that the time was was finally there to to call it. So you decided to hang up the sneakers, but not basketball necessarily. Uh, you're back to coaching, just like your father is a coach. You're now a coach. So you're basically the Coach Zierden 2.0 version. <laughs> what are some of the things that you're doing differently than, you know, Don did? Um, or, you know, what are some of the things that he's taught you, obviously, from being a coach, basically your entire lifetime uh, that you apply to your coaching right now? Wait, it was um, that was the first thing I thought about is, oh, man, now I'm following in his footsteps. Now I'm going to end up being right. <laughs> I don't want to do that. But was, um, I just so I had the opportunity to go back to my old high school. And that was what I thought at the time. And I still do. I think that was the best uh, choice being able to go back and help kids that, you know, want to, you know, play at a college level or just playing for the year um, just to see the difference in mentality compared to, you know, what we always had at Creighton, you know, that's all you see is the mentality of every single day and just to kind of coach and see what other kids think and how they want to work and, um, you know, trying to help some kids reach their goals of maybe playing college was, was what I wanted to do. But I try not to, uh, I try not to yell or nag kids about missing a single free throw if they have 30 points or anything like that. So I'm trying, I'm trying to be a little more laid back than my dad was. Uh-huh. Nice. 0-2.0 is supposed to be the better version. So uh, obviously we're all wishing that it works out for you i know blue jay nation wants to hear all of that are gonna you know look you up and start supporting you even more because it is an honorable thing to do like you said going back to uh your old high school those kids are literally walking in the footsteps that you walked in previously so your insight is certainly going to help them in the future yeah no i i appreciate it and, uh, it's <laughs> definitely the only bad thing is I can definitely tell that I have some of my dad's coaching in me because I'm pretty sure I called like myself called three timeouts all year. Um, uh-huh. Two of them have <laughs> just been absolutely the entire minute just ripped the kids. 
And I had to turn uh-huh. my back to the parents and, you know, just have to be quiet because it's dead silent in the gym. And so that's always the other coach. Um, yeah. Um, we always joke about how I've called three timeouts all year and 66% of mm-hmm. them are me just chewing the kids out. But <laughs> it's, how, it's how it goes, I guess. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes it needs to be that I've I've been on the bad end of getting chewed out too many times in my career to count. So yeah, it's all good. It'll make the t- the kids better. They need to be tougher, anyways. So <laughs> it's all nice. good. It'll make them tough. <laughs> oh man, is there anything? Any last words that you? Um, it was honestly. It was. I said it during my senior speech. It was. It was a blessing and an honor for me to be able to play in front of seventeen thousand every every night and i appreciate them through all my ups and downs still you know staying with me and mm-hmm. um, forever forever grateful and thankful um, for the opportunity thank you isis Yudin, for stepping into the j with me once again uh <laughs> lord knows we've had our <laughs> lord knows we had our moments but once that's again not, let's not put it that way i'm I'm, I'm on the podcast. I'm not back in the J. I don't want to go. Oh, yeah. It. Oh, you're, you're right I'm here. Not, no, I don't you're, want to relive right some here. of those. You're right those here. <laughs> I appreciate you, bro. Make sure to like, follow, and subscribe to the Field of 68 Media Network. And don't forget to download that locker room app for pre- and post-game commentary where you get to actually chime in, uh, request to speak, type in questions, and the host can literally address them live. Isaiah, Ziggy, Zierden, Coach Zierden 2.0. What other nicknames have I had for you over the years? It's too many to count. We still have our handshake every time I see you. Uh, I hope I get to catch up with you this summer, bro. You know we got to golf. My golf game is up there now. What up? Uh, you already know what it is. Tommy Anderson, if you're listening, you know you're going to have Tommy. to join it. That's our little, that's our little golfing, uh, you know, group right there. Um, so yeah, appreciate you, Z. Uh, obviously, stay safe. It's such a crazy time out here in these streets, so stay safe. Um, and you know, maybe you'll get back on the podcast. We need to do a, a second version of this because there's so many stories that we could still be telling right now. <laughs> I, I don't know if the fans want that, but if you know, whatever, whatever the people want, they will. We are. They will. You know people, what? So to speak, our our job. Yeah, we we does. give the people what they want. That's absolutely free. <laughs> <laughs> uh i know for sure that we're gonna have to do one with uh me you and avery because a lot of people have been asking for more avery content to see it was so candid that first time around so uh we're definitely gonna have to to figure that part out but once again thank you z love you bro appreciate you uh we'll talk soon and as always stay safe and go jays i love you